This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. What is your next mission from God? We all have one. God has something in mind for us right where we are. Welcome to Your Next Mission from God with Julian Durko, where the saints show us how it's done. They've been through it, and sometimes they even got it wrong before they got it right. Based on Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, Julie shares unique stories from the lives of the saints to show how they searched for and discovered God's will for their lives. January 28th, just a couple of days ago, was the feast day for St. Thomas Aquinas. Thomas was born in 1225, and he lived to be 48 or 49 years old. His recorded death is 1274. But what he accomplished in his life, his short life, and the contributions that he has made to us are amazing. And there's some very interesting stories, and we'll we'll go into a couple of them and see how they apply to our life. But before we do that, We'll give you just a little bit of an idea, uh, a little biography, very snippet. I mean, his life is amazing. It is worth our study, and his work is worth our study. But also, Thomas Aquinas, the person, is worth our study because there was a, a deep, deep humility with this extra high intellect and many signs of mysticism. And this might help explain some of the insights that he was able to, to get for us through human reason and faith and that openness to what, how the Holy Spirit guides. So Thomas was really, you know, obviously very, very highly intellectual, really a smart little boy. At five, his parents brought him to the Benedictine Monastery at Monte Cassino, and the parents hoped that he would choose the way of life and eventually become the abbot. Now, this was a prestigious position, and it was one that the family would have great honors if they had, if their son became the abbot of Monte Cassino. You know, that would be really something that they would be proud of and that fit with their station in life. And I am certain that he learned many beautiful spiritual lessons at the Benedictine Monastery of Monte Cassino. But then there came the time when he needed to, to go away for education and, and things like this to, to continue so that he could learn his theological studies. And it was while he was away at school that he connected with the Dominicans. And now the Dominican order was new, fairly new at this time. And they were mendicant preachers, you know, like the Franciscans. And at that time, the upper crust of society didn't necessarily see them as a good or positive thing. Therefore, his family was not in favor of him becoming a Dominican. It was seen as a a black spot on the family legacy. They just couldn't abide it. To the point 
that when he refused to become a Benedictine and he was going to leave and join the Dominicans, his mother sent his brothers to actually go and capture him during his travels. And they captured him and they brought him to the family castle and they held him captive there for an entire year, hoping that he would change his mind. And it became apparent he was not going to change his mind. During his captivity, he tutored his sisters and he was able to communicate with members of the Dominican order. I'm not sure how he did that, but it wasn't open and, and supported. It was obviously in secret, but he was keeping in touch with them and resolved he was going to be a Dominican. So what his brothers did, and this is a terrible thing for them to do, but to break his resolve after being locked in the castle for a year, they brought him a prostitute to his room, to his chamber. And they put her in there and they shut the door behind and there she was, you know, and her job was to seduce young Thomas, even if breaking his resolve required having him commit a horrible sin where he would feel like he was unworthy to become a Dominican and breaking his, his desire for a chaste life. And so here she is, this woman, her job to seduce this, this young man. The, the story goes that there was a fire in the room, you know, like a, there was a fireplace and that he grabbed a log with one end of it still burning and he took it out of the fire and he chased her out of there. He was like, no, I will not do this. And he chased her out of there. And then after she left, he used the charcoal on the, the stick to make a cross with it, a huge cross with it on the wall. And then he was even more renewed in his decision to become a Dominican and to serve God this way. It's what he believed that the Lord wanted him to do. And it is said that angels came and ministered to him. His mother finally realized that he was not going to give in, but she was worried about how things looked to other people. So believe it or not, she arranged for Thomas to escape out the window so that it, it wouldn't appear that she gave her consent that he become a Dominican. But anyway, he ends up escaping with his mother's help, silly as that sounds, and then he does uh, become a Dominican and continues his education and writes numerous, numerous volumes. You know, at one point when he was in, in university, he was so cerebral, he, would, he was very quiet actually. And he was teased and thought of as dumb. Now, we have to be careful about this because we perceive people, and maybe we're right because that is the evidence given to us. We could be right, but we could be wrong. They were very wrong about Thomas with the evidence. Just because he was quiet, he was really thinking. He was processing. And so they called him the dumb ox because he was kind of big and not an attractive person, kind of sort of a big lumbering kind of quiet guy. So they called him the dumb ox. And then, so what happens is that the instructor says, you know, I have a feeling we're going to hear the bellowing of, of Thomas around the world. I mean, he, he had kind of a glimpse that there was a super intellect here and that God was at work. And indeed he was. One of the things that really strikes me about Thomas 
is that he was so highly intellectual, but he was so humble. And the combination produced this great saint. So I'm going to give you an example of his humility that just, it just touches your heart. Okay, so one was from when he was young. The kids, again, thinking that he wasn't very smart because he didn't speak a lot, they decided to tease him and say that they, that pigs were flying outside, that outside pigs were flying. And they said, yeah, Thomas, look, there's pigs flying outside. And so he goes to the, to the area to, to, to look outside to, to see the pigs that are flying. And they laugh at him. The joke's on you. There's no such things as pig flying. How could you believe that? And his answer was, I would sooner believe that pigs fly than to believe that my own friends would lie to me. And I thought, wow, I would sooner believe that, that pigs fly than that my friends would lie to me. That is a humble person. Okay, so another example. Now we want to go in to the idea that he's already established a university. He's written volumes. He's been the theological advisor to the papal household. So he was advising the Pope on theology. That was his job, among many others. Here Thomas is. He's very accomplished, world-known, written volumes, and He's just a thinker like, not, like none other. And he really agrees uh, with a lot of philosophies that include divine revelation with human reason. It really launches him in a lot of ways because it's what's needed at the time and actually what's needed in all of history. He's at this point in his career and he has a secretary. So for instance, with the secretary, they'd watch him. They, they you know, he would maybe he'd have five writing projects going at once and they were all different or all seriously important. One would be maybe a letter to the Pope or a teaching for him. Another would be he's working on his Summa Theologia, which is this comprehensive volumes upon volumes uh, theology of God with Q&A and, and both sides of it. And then finally, like a debate style, and then finally coming to the conclusion that he gives. And uh, he'd be writing uh, something on the Eucharist or he just had these different projects going. So it would be not uncommon to have five projects going, but he'd have to have a scribe. So his scribe, he'd give scribe number one, first few sentence to begin writing. Then he'd say the first few sentence of a different project to scribe number two, and then a different project to scribe number three, and on to four and five, knowing that by the time he got done dictating to number five, number one was done with their sentence, and he could give them the next sentence for that project. So his mind was really going, and I guess his handwriting was just horrific. And isn't it good, isn't it good that someone didn't say to him, you get that handwriting in order because you can't write a thing until it's legible. Well, that's silly because he was never going to be good at handwriting. So this is, you know, this is the, a case for specialization. Give people what they're good at. When we have faults or things that weren't our strengths and our weaknesses, it's really, I know this sounds funny and it sounds counterintuitive, but it's really better if we put our efforts where our strengths are, because then we're really going to get somewhere. And where our weaknesses are, we get help from others. That's kind of the idea of specialization and also the body of Christ, where we work together with different gifts. I can't imagine if 
if he had gone to the Benedictine monastery and the abbot there said, you must get your handwriting in order, Thomas, and be obedient before you start writing your great works. I mean, what a shame that would have been, right? So that's something else to consider. Anyway, back to the story that I was going to tell you about is humility. So at night, Reginald, his, his personal secretary, Reginald would hear voices in his room, in his chamber, but the door was locked and he wasn't allowed in. And every time you would ask Thomas about it, Thomas, who are those voices in your room? Who are they? What's going on? Thomas would not answer and avoid the whole subject. He just wouldn't say. And so Reginald, you know, he got kind of sneaky about it and he went to the father superior and he said, please order under under obedience, order Thomas to tell you who is in his room because I don't see anyone going in, I don't see anyone going out, but there's someone in there. I hear other voices. So under pain of obedience, Thomas Aquinas told who was in his room. And this is what he said, St. Peter and St. Paul, because when I have a hard time with the scripture, and Thomas was an amazing scripture scholar. That is his big deal with scripture scholarship. He would confer with, with Saints Peter and Paul. Another story goes that he was in front of a, and, and there's eyewitnesses. They weren't supposed to be there. He thought it was private because again, he's humble, but eyewitnesses recorded again that when he was kneeling in front of the crucifix, that sometimes he would levitate and and I know that he had written on the Eucharist and some, but they heard voices from, from the tabernacle or from the cross. I can't remember which it is, but he's kneeling there. And the voice says, Thomas, you've written well of me. What would you have? There was an offer. You've written well of me. I want to give you a gift. And Thomas Aquinas replied, nothing but you, Lord nothing but you. So he was a man of great, great faith, humble, mystical, contemplative, studious, completely committed, single-minded, not the most attractive person in the world. He had his weaknesses. He couldn't write very well. His handwriting was terrible. And he obviously didn't communicate socially because people thought he was kind of dumb at first. But this is a great saint. I so enjoyed sharing a little bit about him. So I just want to emphasize his humility. It's just a beautiful thing. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Mary, Joseph, we love you. You've been listening to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Durko, produced at the studios of Mater Dei Radio in Portland, Oregon. To listen to this podcast, visit materdayradio.com. To find out more about Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, or if you're in need of a Catholic speaker for a parish mission, retreat, conference, or event, visit catholicfinishstrong.org. That's catholicfinishstrong.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. 
And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.